started, I want to let you know that what I want to talk to you about today is honestly, it's something that God has been really challenging me with in my growth. As a matter of fact, it's probably the biggest area of growth that I've experienced in 2019 so far. You guys are good. You guys can go ahead and have a seat as well. But uh, this, this area of, of, of growth that's been happening in my life, I want to let you know what it is. It's, it's actually overcoming the curse of comparison. You see, as we close out this series, Bestseller, the reason why I want to talk about this is because all month long, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how we're living our life in such a way that it's a story that's worth being told. But I want to remind you that you need to begin to truly live out your story and no one else's. Because sometimes we get tempted to look around, look to the right, look to the left, and we pay attention to what everybody else is doing, and we fail to recognize what God might want to be doing in and through our life in this very moment. So you need to live out your story and stop comparing it to someone else's story. Your, your, your story, it's, it's, uh, it's unique. It's amazing. Your story is valuable to the kingdom. Your story is special. Matter of fact, the easiest way to kill something special, though, is to compare it to something else. It's the fastest way to kill something special, to compare it to something else. Matter of fact, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Where comparison begins, contentment ends. Where comparison begins, contentment ends. You know, you could be... um, very happy with your home, the place that you live. That is until, right, your best friend gets this Joanna Gaines makeover, right? And there's like shiplap in every room. (laughs) And I debated whether or not to even say that because I have a hard time saying that word, shiplap. It almost sounds like something you step in, right? (laughs) I'm just gonna be honest. uh, Gonna be a little bit vulnerable and transparent. Um, not only for me, but I'll uh, be transparent for Melanie, who's not here this morning. Um, speaking of where comparison begins, contentment ends. So last week, we had the opportunity to go to, to Dallas for a pastor's conference. And while we were there, we were only about an hour and a half away from Waco. Those of you that are fans of HDTV, you might know what's in Waco, Texas, right? It's Magnolia Farms. And so we had a window of time. And so we took the opportunity, Melanie and myself, we drove down to Waco. And we haven't even gotten into the town yet. And on the way down, Melanie is in the seat next to me. And she turns to me and says, I think we should move to Waco. (laughs) And so in my mind, I'm thinking, wait, one, why did she say this? Is this like the spirit? What, what, what is going on here? And I could just tell by looking at her, her wheels are spinning. You know, she's getting all excited about what's to come because she has seen the television show. She has seen all the, the homes that have been made over. And not that she's unhappy with what we have, but when she begins to compare it with something else, her contentment begins to end. Where comparison begins, contentment ends. Matter of fact, the reason why I feel like I really need to talk about comparison, because never has there been a time where it has been so easy to compare ourselves with someone else. I mean, we live in the day and age of social media, right? We, we, can, we can look out and we can see pictures and maybe some of our friends are having an amazing time out somewhere and we're like, wait, why, why wasn't I invited to that? 
Man, they're having fun and I'm just stuck at home watching kids. Man, I could have been out there having fun. What's going on? Or, you know, we see the picture of, uh, that, that some girl puts on there and we're like, man, she is on her second vacation and I can't even take the opportunity or the time to visit my mom in the next town over. What in the world is going on? And there she is, you know, she's got her book on vacation. She takes a picture of her book with her feet up, her bare feet in front of a swimming pool. And we're like, man, I, I hate that book. I hate your feet. And I sure as heck hate that pool. What in the world? We're like, I don't know why you girls do that, but every single time you're on vacation, I feel like that's the picture you got to post. Your feet, a book, and the ocean or a pool. I don't know. But we compare, right? We, we compare, man. Look at what they're doing and look at where I'm at. You see, what I want to do today is I want to encourage you with, with, with just some scripture, with just some, uh, some biblical like uh, stories about how the Bible so goes against this idea of comparing ourselves with other people. Matter of fact, just to start off this morning, I just want to look at the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He actually says this. He says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with someone who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. They're foolish. Matter of fact, some translations even go as far as to say they are ignorant. And you are ignorant. You are foolish. You are not wise when you are comparing yourself to someone else. I'll say it like this. I told you I was going to be a little bit transparent and vulnerable here this morning. So at this pastor's conference last month, I told you, you know, it's not wise when they compare themselves with themselves. I'm a pastor. I'm at this pastor's conference, and there's these amazing speakers. Some of you know my friend, Pastor Dwayne White, who comes in and ministers here once a year or so. He has the opening night, and it's amazing. He shares an incredible testimony from his life. He begins to flow in the prophetic, and I'm just like, man, this guy is an amazing guy. I'm so glad to know him, but at the same time, while I'm encouraged by him, I'm also maybe a little bit insecure because I feel like his talent maybe is a little bit better than my talent in communication. And then we hear from speakers like Pastor Mike Todd, who if you don't know who that is, man, he has blown up over the last year, year and a half through social media. Man, he's went viral, some of his messages, and man, he has got the attention now of millions. He's a, a big player now in the next coming, or the coming up generation, in the millennial generation. He's a big time influencer. And man, he gets up to speak, and I'm just like, my gosh, man, I'm so connecting with what he's saying and his storytelling and just his charisma and his, you know, presence on the stage. Man, I wish I had that. And so we want to take these little bits and pieces from everybody and we see something that someone does that might be a little bit better than us and we feel less than when we begin to compare. You see, comparison does two things. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Comparison, it either makes you feel superior or it makes you feel inferior. That's all comparison does is those two things. In this instant, at that conference, I felt what? I felt inferior. But it's the same thing, you know, we, we can look at somebody, we can be at a stoplight next to somebody, and we can have a real nice ride, right? God's blessed us, God's, you know, made a way for us to uh, financially uh, be well off or whatever the case may be. We might have a way to provide and, and, and we might be like, man, look at me, look at the car I'm driving, man. You know, I, you know I, I've worked hard for this, I deserve this. And we look at somebody and it's like, man, well, man, they're just driving around that piece of junk. They probably don't work as hard as I, I do. I feel superior in this moment. Yeah, I really did this. I worked for this. I did this. 
You see, that's all, that's all comparison does. It causes us to either feel superior or it causes us to feel inferior. Andy Stanley, who is a well-known pastor and communicator, he actually has a whole series on this subject. And, and the title of this series was that we're living in the land of Ur. Right? It, it isn't about just, you know, uh, you know, being smart. I just want to be smarter. Right? I want to be richer. Right? I want to be faster. Right? You guys know what I'm saying? Like we look around and we compare. It's like, okay, I just want what someone else has plus Ur. We live in the land of Ur. But then I heard another pastor say, and I guess maybe he was comparing when he was doing this because he was watching Andy Stanley's sermons and he says, you know what? We don't just live in the land of Ur. I believe we live in the land of Est. Okay, I don't wanna be just smarter. I wanna be the smartest, right? I just don't wanna be richer. I wanna be the richest. And if I can be honest, you know, it's not that I wanna have a bigger church, man. Maybe I wanna have the biggest church. Man, does anybody else know what I'm talking about today? Man, we don't want Ur, we want but the problem is when we, begin, when we begin to compare ourselves with other people, all it does is make us feel superior or makes us feel inferior. Matter of fact, that is why it's so important. It's why it's um, something that we really try to hit home all the time is this idea that we now live in the new covenant. We live under grace, not the law, because honestly, that is all that the law does as well. It causes us to compare ourselves with everyone else. And okay, you know, if you understand and recognize that the Old Testament in the old covenant, they had to live by 613 laws. And we can be like, well, hey, I'm doing, I'm doing all these things. Look at all these check boxes that I get to live by. And you know what, what all that causes us to do is compare ourselves. Well, you know, I might not live up to the 613, but you know, I got, I got 400 of them down. And that guy, he only has like 50, man, I'm doing good. I'm doing real good. I, I think that makes me righteous because I'm better than someone else. See, that's all the law does in our life as well. Even though we fail to realize that James tells us that if you're guilty of breaking just one law, you're guilty of breaking the entire thing. So it does not matter anyway. Matter of fact, one of these laws, and you know, we might know the big 10, right? The 10 commandments. We might not, we might know some of the other big ones, but you know, there's one law that actually says that you're not allowed to wear something, a piece of clothing uh, that is uh, more than one type of, uh, of fabric or how it's made up. And so right now I would be breaking the law because like this is, you know, 50% polyester, 50% cotton. I'm breaking the law right now. So it don't matter if I lived up to 612, if I'm breaking this one, it doesn't matter. I'm guilty of breaking the law. But that's all comparison does. That's what I wanted to talk about. It, it just makes us feel superior or it makes us feel inferior. And the portion of scripture I really want to look at this morning is, is honestly, it's powerful. Matter of fact, I told everybody last night that this is one of like the biggest, uh, not revelations, but the biggest moments of clarity for me as I was reading through my Bible. Something stuck out to me this week and man, it, it was so clear and it was so powerful and I believe that it's gonna be impactful for your life today. And as we go through this journey here in just a minute, you're also gonna find it very hilarious. So I hope you're with me. I hope you're ready to read. If you brought your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 20. We're gonna start in John chapter 20 and let me, let me just set up the context of what we're gonna look at this morning and, and what we're gonna see. So we're gonna look at two of Jesus's disciples today, Peter and John. And I'm not gonna say that Peter and John hate each other, 
right? They are followers of Jesus. They're his disciples, right? He's teaching them how to love. I'm not gonna say they hate each other or dislike each other, but there is a lot of not only comparison, there's a lot of competition going on between the two. And you see, you gotta, you gotta realize that all throughout scripture and all throughout the gospels, we can kind of see this because we see that these guys are like, nope, I'm the best, I'm the greatest. Look, I'm the one sitting the closest to Jesus right now. So, so there's this constant competition. And before we read, I also need to say this, that sometimes we look at the disciples and we can kind of uh, revere them, right? We can like show honor and it's okay to show honor to them and what they did and how they lived and even how they died. But at the same time, we have to realize that they were men and they were people just like we're people. They were human. They had struggles. They had difficulties. And yeah, there were probably a lot of, a lot of them because they were dudes, right? They were guys. They compared themselves with each other. You're going to see it this morning. Also, I got to believe that uh, not only was Peter one who constantly stuck his foot in his mouth, but John's one who kind of was probably a little bit annoying because as you're going to see, and as we read through John, right? The book of John was written, the gospel of John was written by John, but all throughout the gospel, he actually refers himself to himself in the third person as the one that Jesus loves, right? And you're going to see today, man, that that gets a little bit annoying and he does not stop. He keeps calling himself you know, he doesn't just say, hey, it was me. He just says, hey, oh, you know what? That other disciple, the one Jesus loved. So, you know, if you, if you ever write a story or write a book, don't refer to yourself in the third person. That's just annoying, but we're gonna see it this morning. All right, John chapter 20, starting in verse one. Now, also, I gotta let you know that Jesus in this moment, right? He, he, he died a gruesome death on the cross. They laid him in a tomb. Three days later, he got up out of the tomb. The disciples didn't know that yet. Mary went to the tomb to kind of anoint his body for burial, didn't find him there. And so this is where we're gonna pick up. John chapter 20, starting in verse one, it says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, he could have just said, man, she came running to Peter and myself. The one Jesus loved and says, hey, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. All right, Mary, man, his body's not there. Let's go, Peter, let's go. And so Peter and John began walking to the tomb. And it says this, that verse four, check this out. Both were running. Well, it didn't say that in verse three. Verse three, it says they just started for the tomb. So I just have to imagine it went a little bit something like this. Mary comes in, Peter and John are in this moment. They hear the news. Okay, wait, we gotta go. Let's go. And they just take off running and sprinting. Man, Jesus, he had just been crucified. His body is no longer in the tomb and they're worried about who's gonna get there first. Verse four, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb, what? First. Man, John has to make sure everybody knows that he beat Peter. Man, it, this is such a guy thing. Man, I won, I got there first. Man, you didn't beat me, I beat you. But this is gonna be a recurring theme. Check this out, I've never seen this before. So he reached the tomb first, verse five. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came along what? Behind. If you didn't catch it the first time, oh, I got there first. And if you didn't hear that, oh, Peter was behind me, just in case you don't realize that. He came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, verse seven, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. That's an incredible verse to, to preach on Easter. I'm not gonna go there this morning. Verse eight, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, not once, not twice, three times. I don't know if you're seeing this like I'm seeing this. John's like, I gotta make sure it's a point to tell everybody I got there first. So that must mean that I love Jesus the most. The other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Man, can you, can you sense and pick up on this comparison, which leads to just this maybe feeling of superiority, this sense of, of competition? And it doesn't stop there. That's John chapter 20. Let's, let's go a little bit further in John chapter 21. So they get to the tomb. He's not there. They don't know where his body is. Jesus hadn't appeared to him yet. The disciples get a little bit freaked out. Like, what are we gonna do? I guess he's dead. He's gone. Somebody took the body. I don't know what. So Peter says, hey, I'm gonna go back fishing. That's what I did before I came to Christ. Now that he's gone, I guess, I guess I'm gonna go fishing. And all the other disciples joined in with him. So they went out to the sea, to the lake, and they started fishing. And here's where we're gonna pick up in the story. Verse four, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Verse seven, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So here in this moment, John is even wanting to make sure we all know that it was, that it was him who recognized Jesus first. It wasn't Peter, no, Peter, You didn't recognize it was Jesus. I recognize that it was Jesus. It is the Lord. And then this, and I don't know really why John includes this in his gospel, but he said, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. Now, I don't know, I'm just speculating here, but there's a sense of me because of what I'm seeing in here and because of the comparison and because of the competition I just got to believe that, that this is John kind of making fun of Peter. I just got to believe that because they, they see Jesus on the shore. John recognizes it's Jesus. Peter takes off all his clothes, jumps in the water. He's like, man, well, you might be able to beat me in a foot race, but I can outswim you. I'm getting, I'm getting to Jesus first this time. But it says in verse eight, if we continue, it says the other disciples just followed in the boat. Like, to me, this is a shot at Peter like no other. Like, Peter, man, you, man you're a fool. What are you doing? What are you doing right there? And it doesn't actually say who actually got there first, right? I just have to believe that John just was in that boat and the, with the other disciples, Peter jumps in, starts swimming, and it says they were only 100 yards from shore. I just got to believe that John just passed them just riding the boat like, look at you, fool. You did, you're, you're, you ain't right. But there's this constant comparison. But this leads me 
to where I want to go. Matter of fact, when I was thinking through, this is the verse, this is the section of scripture that I really wanted to preach. And as I began to just look around this, this verse and this, this part, everything else just came alive. But they're in this moment. And once they reach this shore, Jesus has a conversation with Peter. Now you need to know the backstory just a little bit. So Peter was the one, right? I told you he stuck his foot in his mouth way too often, but he's the one who said, you know, I will never leave you. Man, Jesus, all these other fools, they'll probably, you know, be unfaithful, but not me. I'm gonna stand by you. I'm gonna stand strong. I'm gonna be there with you for the rest of my life. I'll never deny you. Well, that very night he does what? A little girl comes to him and says, hey, weren't you with Jesus? And from a little girl, he's like, no, 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 nope. And he goes on to deny him three times. Well, in this moment, Jesus really wants to restore Peter. He wants to love on Peter. He knows the anguish that Peter has been through. So they just go for a walk. And on this walk, Jesus just says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, well, we'll feed my sheep. Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know that I, I, I love you. Yes, I do. Well, take care of my lambs. And then he asked a third time, Peter, do you love me? And this time the word love he uses is the word agape. It's the God kind of love. It's the unconditional love. And he says, Peter, do you love me in that way? And Peter says, Lord, you know me. You know that I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. So I don't know about you, but he, in that moment, not only got restored, he got a specific calling, didn't he? He got a specific purpose. And this was an incredible moment. This was an incredible exchange. And in this time, Peter gets his assignment. Wouldn't we like to specifically hear from Jesus what our assignment is? I don't know about you, but sometimes it takes me a long time to figure out exactly what that is. But in this moment, Peter gets that assignment. He gets his purpose. He gets his calling, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. And in this moment, he's not really worried about the calling that he just got. He's worried about John because check this out. John chapter 21, verse 20. And this is the pinnacle of where I wanted to go today. It says this, Peter turned around and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. So in this moment, you even see that Jesus gets away with Peter, but John's still following after him like, man, what are they saying? And that needs to be me. Why is he up there? I'm the one that he loves. And it says, this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? He just wants you to know that it's John. And then verse 21, it says this, when Peter saw him, he just got this assignment, feed my lambs, take care of my lambs, feed my sheep. He just got this assignment, but Peter turns around. And when he saw him, when he saw John, he asked the question, Lord, well, what about him? What's he doing? Why do I have to do this? And what is he gonna do? Is what he gonna do better than what I'm gonna do? Is he gonna get more influence than me? Is he gonna get the spotlight and I'm not? How is this gonna work out? And Jesus answered, verse 22, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? What's that to you? You see, I believe that as we compare, Jesus is screaming at the top of his lungs, what's that to you? You're looking to the right, you're looking to the left and you're looking at what everybody else is doing and Jesus is just sitting there. Why aren't you just focusing on me? What's that to you? You must follow me. You must follow me. You see, we can't be worried about 
about what other people are doing. We can't be worried and look around and say, well, well, God, why are you blessing them? God, why do they have that assignment? God, why do they have that kind of influence? God, why do they seem to have that kind of provision? Why, God, why, why are they involved in that? And I'm not, we can't look around. Jesus is saying, no, look, I've given you an assignment. I've given you a purpose. You just need to follow me. You gotta follow me. But why do we do this? Why do we compare? Let's just stop and just think through this just for a minute. You see, I just really believe that we compare because we're still living out of our old nature, which is not there anymore, but it's in our thinking and in our mind. And somehow we're trying to grasp at external things to fill an inner spiritual want and desire and need. And I promise you, you will never fill it with anything else other than Jesus. You see, we try to grasp, man, how many likes can I get? How many comments can I get? How much money can I get? How smart can I get? How much knowledge can I get? Where we're looking around at, at everything and all these external things and they will never be able to fill the spiritual inner longing that you have to really, uh, that, that is really just a hole that only God can fill. You see, if, if we truly are connected to the Father, if we truly have a relationship with Jesus, we need to allow him to define our worth. That's, that's plain and simple. You see, when you ask the question, who or what defines your worth, if it's anything other than Jesus, you're living in a race that you were never meant to win. Matter of fact, that's why I love, I love the writer of Hebrews when he says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one and two, and we can get that pulled up. It says this, I want you to see this. He says, and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, the author and finisher of our faith. But let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. You see, every single one of us, we have a race marked out for us. It's not somebody else's race. It's our race to run. You see, you cannot win someone else's race. You can only run in yours. Man, I can't, I can't win Rich's race. I can only run in mine. Man, Esteban, he can't win my race. He can only run his. So my challenge to you today is you need to spend time with God. You need to find your lane. You need to find out the race that's marked out for you and stop comparing it to everybody else's race because you will never be able to win their race. You can only run in yours. But here's the deal. If other people are winning the race, man, it's okay to be their biggest cheerleader. You don't have to be jealous for what other people are doing. You don't have to be envious of their wins because remember, that doesn't define your worth. That doesn't define your value. Other people can be successful and we can rejoice with that. We don't have to feel less than. We don't have to feel inferior. We just need to be uh, true to our lane and what God has for us. Man, I'm telling you, this is a huge revelation in my life because I can look around at a lot of people doing a lot of amazing things and I can feel like, man, well, I'm not quite doing that so I can feel in, in, inferior and I can feel less than, but God just continues to ask me the question, are you doing what I've called you to do and you just need to stop looking at everybody else? What's that to you? What's that to you? 
You do what I've called you to do. You know, Paul, he picks up on this theme over and over again of running your race and of, and of training and of exercise. And he actually says this, and I wanna pull something out here real quick. In 1 Corinthians chapter nine, verse 25 and 26, he says this. He said, all athletes, he's specifically talking about like, marathon runners, but all athletes are, are disciplined in their training, right? There, there's some discipline. There, there is some things that you need to go through. But it says they do it in the natural to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. We do one, right? That's not temporary, Right, that we have an eternal prize, that this calling, this, this race that's mapped out before us, right? Ephesians, we are God's handiwork, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he already prepared in advance for us to do. Are we doing those things? Are we running our race? And then he says this, verse 26, and I love this. So we run and I run with purpose in every step. Every step that I take in this race, in my life, I need to do it with purpose. I need to do it with some divine direction that, man, I'm getting my orders, my like marching orders from him. I'm following him, right? Fix our eyes on him. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And as I was thinking about that, fix our eyes, right? When, when, when it uses that terminology, really it's using the word focus, right? Man, we need to focus on Jesus. But what I learned from Bishop Tony Miller this year, uh, um, one of the guys at the conference, he actually releases like a weekly thing. And he talked about this a couple of weeks ago and I, th- I thought it was fascinating. He says, you know, when you focus on something, it isn't just about what you're looking at. When you focus on something, how you're able to look at that thing is you get rid of all the distractions. That is how you focus on something. And so if we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, if we're to focus on him, it isn't just trying to only see him. Honestly, sometimes it's getting rid of all the distractions so that you can see him. And so many of us are distracted by what everybody else is doing that it's clouding up our vision and it's clouding up our view. And there's no way we're following after Jesus because all we see is the bigger house or the more money or whatever it is that's all around us pulling us away from Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You know, for me, and uh, again, I told you I was just gonna let you in my world a little bit and I wanna share with you just some things that I'm focused on. I told you this is one of the biggest spiritual growth areas of my life, specifically this year so far, is to really begin to overcome this curse of comparison. But part of it is I just gotta figure out what my lane is. What is it that God has me to do. And what you need to know about me, I, I, I'm a builder. I love to build things. I love to, to, to see something accomplished. I love to, 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 to build and, and, and really just to, to, to renovate. And I love just the whole building process from beginning to end. I love it. And as I was thinking through what it is that God has for me, and I'm just sharing this with you, not to just put my life on display, but to show you that you also have to go through this process of figuring out what your lane is and the race marked out for you. But for me, what God has been doing in my life is really just uh, showing me the three areas that I feel like is my race, that it is my area of influence and, and it has to do with building and it's building my testimony. I know many of you, because we didn't have service Last week, you weren't able to hear Sean's testimony, but just very briefly, he talked about this is the year that we really need to search out our testimony and seek out a testimony rather than a title. 
And that really spoke to me because little did he know I've already been putting some of this stuff in place where I need to, number one, I need to build my testimony. Number two, I need to build the church. Number three, I need to build into leaders. And for me, kind of, that kind of looks like that, you know, let's just start with the church. I really believe that the church is like the greatest expression of the love of Jesus right on the planet. And I believe that as we come together, man, gifts get unlocked. That potential gets unlocked. That as, as we come in the, not only this place, but as we're doing life together, whether it's through connect groups or whether it's, you know, just doing, doing life and being in, in, invested into each other's, you know, success, that we're building one another up, that we're encouraging one another, that we're there for one another, whatever it may be. I just believe that the church is amazing. And so part of what God has called me to do is to continue to build the church by connecting you to your ministry and whatever it is God calls you to do. I think Corey said it last week or two weeks ago, he said, said, man, we on staff, we as pastors, our biggest job is to be your biggest cheerleader. And so part of it is building the church. Part of it is building leaders. And I'm going to be honest, this is something that I suppress and I pushed aside for a very long time. Number one, I probably compared myself to everybody else out there and thought, well, I'll just send you off there. Or man, why don't you just get this teaching? Or why don't you just follow them? But no, God's called me to really pour into the next generation, to raise up the next generation of leaders. So just like I'm standing on my dad's shoulders, we're gonna have a group of people that can stand on our shoulders and take this thing further than we could ever even imagine. But building and pouring into leaders, you know, I always thought a pastor, man, a pastor just has to what? Pastor a church, but I'm really seeing that God's lane and the course that he has marked out for me is also build up other leaders in the faith. But then lastly, my testimony, and I can get Donovan to come up and and help me, or the keys to come up and help me as I close this thing down. But my testimony, you see, I I want to live a life with integrity. I I wanna live a life in such a way where it's showing that I am faithful to my wife, that I'm faithful to the church, that I'm faithful to pour into my sons and, and pour into them in such a way that I can raise my sons to be godly men. You see, I want to be able to, to, to really have this testimony that as people look at my life, they can even say, man, look at what Jesus has done for me. So part of that is living my life with integrity. Part of it is living my life in such a way where it, it, it is like uh, something where people see Jesus in me. And I got to make sure that I'm building that testimony. You see, I had a friend a long time ago tell me, uh, a pastor friend, he said, never, um, never sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. Man, I don't want to build, like I've told you, I'm a builder. I don't want to build this big successful church or this following or into leaders and lose my family in the process. But also, I don't want to sacrifice the ministry on the altar of family either. I feel like God is, is directly, uh, be, really begin to pour in my life this avenue or this aspect of really just, um, really just finding a rhythm where I can really just truly discover how God is living through me. And it's the testimony that I have. And all of you have a testimony, whether you realize it or not. You have a testimony. Are you building that testimony? Are you allowing God to to guide and direct you? Are are your eyes fixed on him? You see, here's the deal. You might not have the biggest house, but maybe you're home every night to spend time with your kids. And guess what? That's you winning your race. You might not have the biggest business, but the, the business you do have, you're running it with integrity, that's you 
winning your race. I mean, you might not have some big public platform of ministry, but you come out and you're faithful to serve every single Wednesday night with our student ministries, OA, that's you winning your race. Man, you might not be like, you know, fooling around with everybody you meet and you're staying pure and you're working on the one until the one comes and that's you winning your race. You see, it's, it's more about who you are than what you're doing. God's more concerned about your character, your integrity. He's more concerned about your obedience to him. Whether or not what you're doing explodes and all these people think that you're now successful. And you might be somebody who doesn't really get recognized a lot, but you're just following whatever it is Jesus calls you to do that's right in front of you. Man, I'm telling you, that is you winning your race. Can, so can we just look at it instead of comparing ourselves? Can we just see Jesus in other people and say, man, I, I'm gonna celebrate whatever God's doing in your life. Man, I'm gonna be your biggest cheerleader. Man, this is what God is doing in my life. And we don't have to sit here and compare about who's maybe doing more or who's more influential or who has more stuff. Man, I'm gonna just close it with the words of Jesus. Man, what's all that other stuff to you? What's that to you? You follow me. You follow me. And I'm telling you, you live a life like that. That is a life that is a bestseller. You live a life like that where at the end of your life or even throughout your life, not just the end, even right now, you can be like Paul who says, guess what guys? Why don't you go ahead now follow me while I follow Christ? And I think in that moment, Man, I was just thinking through this aspect of what Paul said in this moment. I don't think Paul's in like a large gathering like this and he's actually like really encouraging, hey, you guys follow me so, so I, while I'm following Christ so that you guys can be like me. I don't think that is what's going on in this moment. I, I'm sure Paul was like, man, I, I don't need y'all to follow me. But I think he recognized that people were following him because he was following Christ. It's almost as and I can picture this, that Paul was living his life in such a way that he was walking with purpose in every step, that, that he was so focused on Jesus that his life was so attractive, he just looked around for a minute and people were following him just because he was following Jesus. And he says, okay, continue to follow me as I follow Christ. I don't think he was trying to gather some, you know, uh, you know, assembly or anything like that or, or, or to gain some influence. I just think he just recognized, man, huh, people are following me, but it's because I'm following Jesus. It's Jesus in and through my life. That's it. So let's be those kind of people. To stop comparing. Let's live our story. And if you just live your story, I don't care what it looks like compared to somebody else's. That is a best-selling story. It's your story.